then the perfect antidote to that is to identify what it is that we can do to soothe ourselves with compassion and soothe other people and to bond with other people. So that's really what it is at its simplest level. And and what I like about it, it's a really gentle, nice approach. And it kind of says we're all humans and, you know, we're perfectly imperfect. We're all messy. So we might as well be messy together. Hey everyone, my name is Jack Kavanagh and you are very welcome to the Only Human Podcast. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome Dr. Mali Coyne to the podcast. Mali is a clinical psychologist, author and adjunct psychology lecturer in Galway University. She sits on the mental health advisory panel for a Lust for Life charity and in July 2020 released her best-selling book, Love In, Love Out, a compassionate approach to parenting your anxious child. With her considerable experience of working with clients throughout the lifespan, Molly's fast becoming one of the leading voices in compassionate self-care in Ireland. Through her advocacy work, public speaking, print and radio and television contributions, she shines a light on mental health issues and promotes meaningful well-being. Mally lives in Galway with her husband and two little ladies. And for more on her work, you can go to her website, drmallycoin.ie, or follow her on Twitter or Instagram. Today's conversation was soulful. She is just a magic person and has a lovely presence and at a time when we need compassion for ourselves and for each other this conversation was a real treat. Dr. Mali Coyne you are very welcome to the Only Human podcast. How are you? I'm really good Jack and thank you so much for having me on. Honestly I'm honoured. Oh, well, I am absolutely delighted that you're here. And let's get a sense of where where are you speaking to us from today? I'm speaking to you from my garden room in Galway. So it's kind of the place where my husband and I are delighted we built it in retrospect with all the time we've been spending at home in the last year. Um, But it's kind of a a place of solitude and uh, rest for anybody who needs it in the house. So we we live in quite a small house, so it's a really handy little room to have. And it's also where I wrote my book and, you know, where I had my book launch and where lots of things, lots of creative things have happened for both of us, for for him separately to me. But it's, it's, it's a nice little place, a nice little den. Yeah, I think so many people are craving for that separate space in their homes it's a something that maybe they got before uh lockdown and covid was ever a thing somewhere outside of their home um but it's it's such such a privilege to have spaces like that available um so i'm delighted that you have it so um let's explore love in love out a compassionate approach to parenting your anxious child. 
what the hell is this compassion malarkey, and why do we need it? <laughs> I've never of, been asked the question in that way before. There's there's a lot there's a lot of talk about compassion. Go on. Um, well, tell me tell me tell me the. I want to know the feeling behind your question because that'll help me answer it. Mm, I love mm. it. Very much a psychologist approach. I, um, <laughs> I also need to drink my coffee. <laughs> I love it. So, so publicly, there's there's a huge amount of talk about the need for compassion and self-compassion and compassion for self and other and and all of these things. I'm an advocate, but to the general population, we wonder: well, what does that actually mean? Like that sounds great, but what does that actually mean in my life? And how do I display that? And how do I act and behave that way towards myself and others? And so I suppose I'm looking for practicalities. Mm. What does it look like in a, in a day, in a relationship, in work? Um, and, and I, Yeah, I suppose for me, it's, it's, it's a, an approach I'm really kind of obsessed with I would say now in the last few years because it really made so so much sense to me when I first learned about it and it really like I already was big into like attachment theory which is all to do with the importance of the relationship between the parent and the child and how important the quality of that relationship is but when I then heard about compassion focused therapy which is the therapy associated with compassion and I learned about the three emotional circles so we have three circles let me see if I can find a diagram for you here. Yeah. I'll just show you. I don't people who are listening won't be able to hear, but we all have a threat system, which is our red circle. And that's to do with our detection of threat and how our, our brains are really threat focused. We all have brains that need to attune to threat in order to keep safe. And I think right now, in the times we're living in, that seems to be kind of more prominent than ever because there's such uncertainty around us and our threat, the threat part of our brains can be quite kind of, I, I, I like to call kind of use the circles as how big is your threat circle at the moment and our threat circles are quite big at the moment. Yeah, and can, have, I, can I just yeah. jump in there because a yeah. lot of people would have, would have heard maybe ancient brain, modern world, mm. They would have heard negativity bias. They would have heard words like amygdala um, yeah. and and these kind of things. And, and that's really all wrapped up within that threat circle that you talk about. Exactly. They, they say in compassion-focused therapy, we all have a tricky brain. So it means that the brain we have right now is exactly the same brain that we had when we were hunting down hyenas or whatever we're doing in many, many years ago. And... Just because, and that's why when our brain senses threat, whether it's a real threat, like we are actually in danger, or else we think there's a threat, which is, you know, like fear and, you know, where where there's a lot of thoughts about threat as opposed to real threat for some people at the moment, but, and obviously we're living in a difficult time, that our brain will react in exactly the same way. So it'll kind of, you know, have this fight or flight response and, It'll get activated and then our thoughts will get even scarier, which will make our body think it's even scarier. And there's this kind of loop that goes mm. around. And I suppose I used to call it the perfect storm before COVID because I was thinking of all of the way we have a threat-focused brain, but then all this overwhelm of information that was kind of being landed on us. And 
I suppose the society we live in where it was about performance as opposed to, and results as opposed to the process and being busy all the time was seemed to be kind of something people did. And I mean, I'm hoping the last year has recalibrated, but I suppose just to go back to the circles, like your drive system, we all have this blue drive circle, which is like it motivates us towards doing things. So every day we wake up, you know, even us doing this podcast today, it's it's our drive kind of, you know, pulling us to do it. And it's about kind of having a get up and go about you having goals, motivation, that kind of thing. And then finally, our last system is our soothing system, our soothing circle, which is about managing your distress and promoting bonding with other people. And that's all about feelings of contentment, safety, protection, feeling cared for. So at its simplest, if you hear people, I know people talk about, oh, self-care, it's mumbo jumbo, self-care, you know, compassion. Oh, we hear these words all the time. But scientifically speaking, and it's, you know, it is the science is really like every day there's more and more research that's coming out on the compassion movement in America, compassion focused therapy in the UK and around the world that it actually helps if we focus on trying to if our threat system is very big and we focus on soothing ourselves, that's kind of thinking of ourselves with compassion it's not just about having a nice piece of chocolate and having a bath every night it's actually talking to ourselves with compassion there's no point in having all these self-care activities if you don't actually regard yourself with compassion and it's also about bonding with other people and relating kind of because we're such uh social beings Mm. so really at the very simplest level if our threat systems are large and they might be feeding into our drive so in other words we might be stressed or whatever then the perfect antidote to that is to identify what it is that we can do to soothe ourselves with compassion and soothe other people and to bond with other people so that's really what it is at its simplest level but scientifically it is and, and what I like about it, it's a really gentle, nice approach. And it kind of says, we're all humans. And, you know, it's your only human podcast. We're all humans. We're perfectly imperfect. We're all messy. So we might as well be messy together. And we might as well, as in, you know, and I love that there's elements of compassion-focused therapy that I think you'd really appreciate, like the mindfulness element, which is, you know, be where you are now. You were talking about that in a previous podcast, you know, and about common humanity. And I think that's huge right now. The fact that we're all we're all in this boat of facing this situation and it's really hard and we're all in it together. So that this is what it feels like to be a human being right now. And then the last element is the self-kindness, which can be hard for people. And I think, you know, as a psychologist, I see that. And the reason sometimes we find it hard to soothe ourselves or to even know what that means is that we mightn't have been soothed in kind of the ways we we should have been or we could have been when we were younger. That's where we yeah. would develop our first models of soothing or else we might not feel deserving of it now and trying to kind of figure out why that might be. Um, because I've asked clients before to draw their soothing circle. They literally couldn't. They were like, I don't know what I like doing. I don't know. You know, I, I can't draw that. I, it just, they just couldn't. And it was just about trying to figure out what are the barriers here. So that's really, I know I'm, I've given you a long explanation there, but 
it's it's not an act. It's not a luxurious act. Self care for me, compassionate self care and self compassion is like absolutely like vital. You know, uh, and that's why I I wrote a book that related that. You know, because for me, I had to. I really think it's the way the way to go, and I think it would really resonate with you as well. Absolutely. So many people associate the word resilience with my story um, mm. and and my journey, and and I found that hard actually at times because um, one of the things that I would would always say is that that I'm completely imperfect and I do my best to show up for myself and others every day, um, but I don't get it right all the time, and none of us do. And um, my model of resilience is quite different actually to what a number of years ago was was talked a lot about um previously and um maybe in in years gone by resilience would have been thought of as this like hard-nosed grit and and you just have to keep going and you persevere and you burn out and crumble at the end of it you know and and I didn't really associate with that. I I found that uh, true resilience came from having and not having, but nurturing and developing and cultivating a strong relationship with yourself and Mm. importantly with others for the times that you couldn't um, maybe do it yourself. And, um, And that's essentially that soothing piece that you're talking about. And it perfectly feeds in like there's bi-directional arrows going with mm. how that correlates with the threats we face or the challenger adversities that we face and how that links in with the level of drive we have or or others might consider that our capacity to perform in the roles that we have in life and um and so when i come to speak about um resilience and different scenarios and so on i come from that place of actually it's down to caring for yourself and valuing yourself and putting putting things into the little deposit account on a regular basis so that there's a reserve there and that's in terms of your energy levels and the relationship with your your health and with other people and and with yourself importantly and how you're sleeping and all of these kind of things are acts of self-compassion as much as how you talk to yourself when things don't go right or when you're having a bad day, is it okay for you to have a bad day? You know, these kinds of things. Mm. Um, so so I'm on the Yeah, same page. and what you were saying, because when I was I was listening to podcasts you had done, obviously in January, I think, and you were talking about how you had spent a few months kind of all, away from doing that that podcast and why that was and what 2020 had brought you. And I found that really interesting. Um that it had it had given you the space to feel your feelings, and some of those feelings were sadness and anger. And when you were talking, it I, I was you know I was walking around my building and work with headphones on, and I was I was found myself tearful listening to some of that because you just explained it in such a kind of I don't know I just I could I could really feel what you were saying, and I think sometimes you know kind of recognizing that you need to pull away and have the time for every feeling that you might have is okay. It's okay. Do you know, it's, it's, um, I had a a few months, I think after releasing my book last July, and I probably still feel that way to an extent where I was like, 
oh, what's next? You know, I was so kind of driven, you know, so like driven, driven, driven. And then suddenly the book came out and it was like, what next? You know, I like, I, I know my drive is to do with wanting to help people. And I know there's lots of ways that I can do that, but I just felt this kind of pull that I need to know what, I, what I'm going to do next. And I have to just keep going, keep going, keep going. And then not having kind of a, something very kind of a goal in my mind was bothering me in a way, but I still don't have a goal, an overall goal in my mind. I'm just kind of trying to, at the moment, survive each day, you know, because it's not easy, you know, um, uh, you know, having kids at home and trying to just even manage the the days that are rainy and stuff. So it's just, hmm. I, I've, I've let go, I think, of that. You have to have a goal. You have to have, you know, because sometimes even being in service of others, which I do find myself, you know, that drive can come from a threat part of my brain, which is like, you need to be doing it. You need to be doing it. Whereas what we what we're what we want with compassion is for you to feel driven as a human being, but that it comes from a soothing place. So it's like if you doing your podcast, that you would you know you would have restarted your podcast of your out of your after your few months off, not because you were hearing from people where where are you? What's going on with you? Or you felt like oh I should do this, but that it was more like oh, this is a natural time now. I feel ready to share. And this is a natural time for me to do this. Do you know? So it's kind yeah, of, it, yeah. it, it's a different kind of drive. And can I ask then, because, you know, we all have commitments and responsibilities and obligations. Um, and there's sometimes that um, maybe we have to feel the feelings and do it anyway. And... <laughs> And where does that fit in for you in, in the model? I think sometimes people might think self-compassion means that it's kind of laziness and you can just be kind to yourself all the time. Mm. But one thing I'm really learning is that self-compassion is also about kind of personal accountability. Yeah, You know, so doing things that are good for you. But obviously, if you have a job, getting your job done is good and you know if you have kids minding your kids is something we need to do we don't we only need to do it in a good enough way we don't need to do it in a perfect way we don't need to do our jobs in our perfect way I, I like the idea of good enough um but yeah I think accountability is in there as well I I think it's for me it's about an the way as you said it's about nurturing a kind relationship with yourself for when you feel like you mightn't have done things the way you would have liked or, you know, we all kind of live with regrets. Oh, I should have done this or I should have done that differently or I could have done this. And that you kind of give yourself a little bit of a break in those moments, but that you still have certain things you have to do in your life and you have to do them anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, when I'm with clients or, or organizations, what I what I talk about is showing up for yourself so mm. you can show up for the things that are important in your life. Okay. And and I really I really think that that's important because there's only so long that we can show up outside of ourselves without without the the energy levels completely depleting and and the battery going to a level where it's going to take a long time to recharge. And so yeah. we need we need to keep ourselves topped up. Um 
so much of your work is is focused on on young people um and and i think they're a really important cohort and you wrote this this book for for parents um well your most recent book for parents of of anxious children um have you seen any change in the levels of anxiety in the public um over the past number of months since since covid began and and what kind of ways is that presenting um yeah i would say that i have i but i think anxiety the reason i wrote the book was that anxiety was quite prevalent and increasing you know as as being an issue for young people and children um but in the last yeah i would say in the last year parents have been more anxious many parents maybe those that were prone to anxiety and then similarly their kids who might have been more prone to anxiety might might present in more anxious ways now do you know like as in you know if you think of the impact if save your child and you're quite anxious anyway your young child and all you hear all around you is wash your hands stay away from that person you know people are walking around with masks all around you like those messages are you know those repeated messages over and over and then if you're even exposed to the news that's why i i'd be careful about exposing your kids to too much news but um I, I think, yeah, it has. I have seen it where kids have become a little bit obsessive about certain things, like, you know, not wanting to touch certain things because they could have COVID or um, there has been a rise in eating disorders kind of uh, coming in or people with eating distress, people who, you know, like eating distress, like I suffered with that when I was younger as well. And it's kind of like when you feel that the world has gone out of control, you try to put some control on the world and eating is one of those ways. And that's why it's so kind of, you can see more eating distress, more obsessive compulsive tendencies, more parents who are anxious and probably, I suppose we don't have our normal support structure. So even as a psychologist, I feel like I'm, I've been disarmed of some tools that I could usually use. Do you know, usually there's, well, there's this service that could help you or there's, you know, the stuff that we used to enjoy doing, you know, things like, you know, asking somebody what is their passion? What do they enjoy doing? And then, you know, there's just less availability of support from other people and from doing things you enjoy. So it's, um, I've, you know, and I I did a lot of Facebook lives for Lust for Life during the lockdown. And I, I have done that. And I've had to constantly kind of reinvent, like, what topic am I going to talk about this time? You know, because here we are again. And mm. um, I suppose trying the last one was all about hope and just trying to find hope during a time like this, you know. Um, so, yeah, there definitely has been an increase. But again, the, the anxiety, look, I don't think we can think that, I mean, maybe we might have to wait till after the pandemic to to really see what the effects are. But it's not like we were living a, a great life beforehand. We were far too busy. I really think, like even look reflecting on my own family life, things were just too busy. And I think we I'm realizing from watching my kids that we didn't need all that craziness. That that actually, you know, some of the lockdown, what what's been like last night we went to Tesco and that was like our outing for the day and but even just slowly walking through the aisles and just kind of it it has made time slow down which I think is no harm 
that's what I'm trying to say. I think time slowing down is a good thing. Yeah. Um, I certainly think it has led us to appreciate things in a way that previously uh, was lost on us, um, which is a good thing. But I also recognize that at this point, people's patience um, is wearing thin. You know, the first... The first lockdown, we were all in this together. The weather is good. Um, yeah. The weather is not just good, but like we might as well have been in the south of Spain um, for for a couple of weeks back in yeah. last March. Um, the second lockdown is harder. You know, we're coming to Christmas, um, but there's the hope that, you know, we'll, we'll all have a really nice Christmas together. And, and there's a reason for this. Now it's becoming clear that this this is going to go for longer than anyone could have anticipated and and it's an imperfect situation and there's that um uncertainty um that that propagates the the anxiety spiral or the the feedback loop and as much as people are finding different things to appreciate and so on um that might beginning to feel a little bit contrived for some people now Oh, I totally agree with you. Like it's, I don't think I've experienced like the darkness that I felt in the last month as much, you know, since for me, the second lockdown, I didn't feel it had such an effect because my kids were in school, but it's the kids not being in school that, you know, it's that. And then thinking of their, their mental health and they're not having social contact. And thankfully I can still go to work, which I'm, I'm lucky with. Um, and communicate with people all day, but it's um, it, it it is. I, I can see how patience is wearing thin. Absolutely. And how are you doing at the moment? Yeah, you know, it hit me hard um, between that period I talked about in in the first podcast back um, between the end of August and coming up to Christmas time. It it hit me hard, and there was a number of reasons for that. Um, since the new year. Uh, I, in the early weeks of January, actually felt better in myself. I kind of felt, uh, I felt ready for this. Um, and as time has gone on, it is, uh, it's now that it's really hitting me that, wow, I, I would love to see my girlfriend. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would, I would love to see my friends. Um, that hug that I wanted to give to someone last March is, yeah. is it's nearly a year on and I'd still love to give that hug, you know? Yeah, um, and they're, they're the little things that, that, uh, that we're missing, which are really big things. Um, yeah. and, and I think it's important to uh, allow ourselves to grieve for those things. Um, but for me day to day, I'm, I'm working on controlling what I can control and, doing my best to let go of the rest and that's easier some days than others um that's easier than some some days than others and I find myself turning um more and more to um compassion based or loving kindness meditations Mm, um as really valuable um I find myself um writing um gratitude lists more deliberately than I have over the past number of years. Although that was something that's that's been really prominent in my practice over the last number of years. Um, I find 
myself journaling a lot more in terms of just letting letting stuff out onto the page um and deliberately connecting with people because I certainly um I certainly immobilized a little bit um pre pre pre-Christmas in terms of I went into a bit of a shell and um I'm sure you're familiar with polyvagal theory yeah yeah um and and not too dissimilar from from the chart on on the the three different circles of uh, of threat drive and soothing that you showed but um in polyvagal theory just for for our listeners um it it describes our autonomic and and uh, sympathetic nervous systems and I'll actually do an episode on this maybe sometime but uh one of the things that happens when we face a threat is either fight, fight and fl- fight or flight response is mm-hmm. kicked off, or if the threat seems too overwhelming, that's when we shut down, and and clinically or or practically that might show up as depression or or yeah. um, or being immobilized in 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 some way. It's um, we see it in nature with animals. Uh, playing yes. dead playing dead for example um to to get away from prey or for prey to lose interest and so on so um i i felt a little bit of that pre-christmas that i just really shut down and i didn't have the energy and um i didn't have the interest and it's very low mood and so i'm coming i'm coming out well out of that now which is really nice and I'm certainly more hopeful. Um, it feels like there's there's light at the end of the tunnel, but it's a long tunnel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I hear you. It is. It's yeah. a long tunnel, but I'm glad to hear that that you took that time for yourself and that you're kind of feeling a bit more hopeful now. Yeah, and I think it was it's important, and this is kind of a practical example of of how you maybe enact some of the things we're talking about in terms of self-compassion. Um, during that time, I was still getting up in the mornings. I was still doing the practices. Um, and I was still working with with clients and organizations and so on. But I recognized that I didn't have energy or bandwidth for everything. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I needed to step back a bit. And, and that's where stepping back from the podcast came in. And I think it's really important that during times of, of a challenge or, or upset and so on, look, we all have responsibilities and we have to pay the bills and all of those kind of things. But it's important to find ways and to be okay with not having to do all of the things and to cut back a little bit. And and that's certainly certainly what I had to do. Um, if I'd continued to do it all, um, I certainly would have burnt out, um, uh, or been in a much much harder place. Um, so so that is maybe a very practical example. Um, in the book, you talk about this safe uh, acronym. Yeah. And. Particularly, um, we all need it, but for young people, um, this is something that that parents can establish with young people, and and I think sometimes we, it's important for us to give ourselves maybe what we didn't get when we were growing up as well, 
um, yeah. as best as our parents did and as incredible mm-hmm. as they uh, as they often are and as hard as they tried um so how how would you explain safe um i from working with anxious parents just generally speaking and parents generally and i am a parent i know that people like having an acronym or you know steps that they can remember to help you know when they have an anxious child because obviously as you like anxiety can immobilize you as a parent you're just like oh my god you know when your kid says I'm not going to school tomorrow well I wish they were going to school tomorrow but whatever it is I'm not going to do such and such and next thing you're like immobilized you don't know what to say you don't know what to do you freeze up as you said and you know safe that whole idea was I just thought I'd use, well, firstly, the importance of safety is that a child won't be able to explore their environment unless they feel safe. And safe is kind of safe in their bodies, you know, like that's really an important aspect. So the S is for self-care, which is the parent, you know, I I talk a lot, like the first half of my book really is all about compassion-focused therapy and how parents can be more compassionate towards themselves which will lead them to be able to reflect more on how they they react to their kids, you know? So I think a reflective parent, is it's really important for us to reflect that we have a choice as parents in how we react to our kids, you know? Because there's been times in my life I feel like I haven't, and there are still, you know, where I don't react. I react out of a place of anger or fear or tiredness or whatever's going on. And I think it's, if we are kinder to ourselves, if we do that self-care bit, then we're much better able to take a step back and kind of think about how we react to our kids, you know? Um, and that's where the love in, love out comes out. And then the A is for anchoring, which is, um, you know, I like, I love the metaphor of like the parent being an anchor for a like a child, which is a boat that's kind of, you know, going everywhere but the anchor is still there to keep them firm and steady and so I use these in in fact in that part I had a whole chapter on polyvagal theory which was just crossed out by my editor who thought that should not be in there it's too complicated but so I have lots of anchoring strategies so really you know like as they say an emotion is like an is like uh you know anxiety you have this fight or flight response and it's kind of your adrenaline chemicals are going through your body and it's really good to let that out. And sometimes breathing can help kids, but it's really helpful to like use playful strategies like breathing like a dragon, you know, like imagine that there's fire coming out of your mouth or else shaking on purpose or else, you know, drawing a figure of eight under the table in class with your foot. Or there's mm-hmm. lots of really kind of playful ways of um using your senses because using your senses really decreases your anxiety so that's the a so really practical things there the f is for feeling felt which is dan siegel's concept about um acknowledging your child's feelings unpackaging them your child says i don't want to go to school tomorrow you unpackage and say what part of school are you most worried about so rather than immediately react and say you're going to school tomorrow or whatever you kind of go once you feel they're calm enough, you kind of say, and I wonder what it, what it is about school that's making you afraid, you know? Um, so unpacking and really validating it for them and saying, 
you seem to be afraid of such and such happening and kind of just being quite calm about it, which I know can be really hard when you've, you have an anxious child or you're anxious yourself. And then the last one is about empowerment, where I have like interviews in my book with a cognitive behavioral therapist who's a friend of mine. I used to work with her in CAMS and she talks about how to work with a teenager with anxiety. So it's really nice that I had people that I know quite well. And then I had a mindfulness, self-kindness teacher called Louise Shanaher, who's written beautiful books on mindfulness for children. And she goes through some kind of really helpful information. And then I have Siobhan Prendeville, who's a play therapist. And I, I have uh, kind of, I look, I think play is the opposite of anxiety. So really, if you use playful strategies, like if my child's worried about a monster, rather than tell her there's no monster in the room. Oh, right. You feel there's a monster. Oh, I wonder, will we, will we spray the monster out? What will we do to trap the monster next to your bed, you know, so that you're being playful. Cause the second you're playful, you're not anxious. Your kid knows you're not anxious and it takes the charge out of the situation. So I suppose it's a real, like as a friend of mine said, you know, who, who facilitated my book launch for me and asked me questions. It's kind of my gift of love in a way, my book, it took me so long to write, but um, I'm really happy with how it came out. And I really hope I, I've had lovely messages from parents and professionals about it. So I think that safe approach can apply in any situation with any difficult emotion. Yeah. Um, and I think the the thing that makes the toil of writing um, like that worthwhile is is the feedback, you know, and, and seeing that it's actually landed with people in, in such a positive way. Um, because this is this is a really hands-on useful book, you know, it's 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 really practical um, and and it meets a huge need um, out there. Um, one of the things that I really like that you talk about is is this, um, and I I'm, might be getting the reference wrong, but it, it's a bravery ladder. Um, yeah. Is, am I am I phrasing that right? It's like a, a stairway to bravery. Mm. Yes. So it's this kind of idea of like it's a cognitive be it's cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a therapy that looks at the relationship between your thoughts, your feelings and your behavior. And the stairway to bravery is kind of, you know, say your, your child is afraid of something like a spider and then or a dog, say that's a kind of more realistic one, because I suppose we don't really have many. Well, we have small, my daughter is afraid of small spiders, but say it's a dog and they're afraid, like it's a phobia kind of thing. And slowly but surely you kind of write down what are the eight steps that are less scary than being in contact with a dog. You know, it could be like the picture of a dog or it could be, you know, touching a dog toy. You kind of identify those steps with your child and then you reward them based on every step they manage to get through. And I don't mean massive rewards. A reward can often mean praise to a child or a sticker or, you know, something like that. But it's kind of a nice way of empowering your child for them to kind of, you know, talk through what the steps would be until they were ready to, to face a dog. But again, it's some, if you've, if your child is seriously anxious, it's, you know, it's really helpful to have a professional involved and to help with something like that. But I just thought it's definitely a technique that I've used in anxiety groups with parents that they have found really helpful. 
uh, and their children have found helpful. And that's kind of the resource section of my book is just full of really practical tools like giving your worry a name if you were to name your worry what would it be or how to make a worry box with your child these are things that I repeat over and over again with different parents and so I kind of felt like and there's lovely meditations there as well like loving kindness meditations I wrote one actually called love in love out and there's one for children that Louise Shanahan wrote so it's kind of just nice little practical the, the best of the tools that I use every day with parents and children basically yeah wonderful Wonderful. Um, what's giving you hope? Whoa, <laughs> what's giving me hope? Um, my children give me hope, you know, watching them every day. I just, uh, you know, the fact that they're so, they seem so kind of adaptable and strong to the situation. I don't know how how they're doing it, but I'm really proud of them. Um, and it's not that I would only be proud because they're strong or anything like that. I mean, they they have their their low moments and that's fine. But what's giving me hope is just knowing that this is a moment in time and it might feel like a really long moment in time. But that, you know, we still have things that are meaningful to us in our lives. You know, I can whilst I mightn't be able to go for a walk with my really good friend, I can still whatsapp her and talk to her and support we can still support each other um you know I'm I'm blessed with health at the moment I'm blessed with my family my close family around me I do miss like my dad lives in Spain and I haven't seen him since December 2019 and he's just turned 80 so I kind of mm. you know there's certain things that kind of bring me sadness but as he said in a whatsapp message to me the other day like you know this like this is a moment in time and we'll get through it and there will be, we will wear our crowns again and we will go to the theatre again. Like I miss, my kids are involved in in like pantomimes and dramas and things like that. And we will get to a time where, where we'll have that again. And I think we'll appreciate it so much, like going to a concert or even going for lunch with somebody and, you know, like just... Small things, like even before Christmas, my daughter and I, we went to the cinema and then afterwards we went and had in Salt Hill a lovely hot chocolate with a bun in a cafe. And it was just the loveliest thing. It was it was just like, oh my God, it was candle lit. It was just me and her. We were sitting there and I just thought, wow, this is amazing. So just any bit of things opening up a bit and, you know, that... Like, I'll just appreciate, appreciate every one of those. But for me, nature is really important and getting out to exercise and just be out in nature is, is brings me hope as well. You know, what about you? Mm. You jumped in before I got my next question. Ooh. Um, <laughs> I was teeing you up. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, what gives me hope? Um, what gives me hope is what was going to feed into my next question. And, and it's, okay. it's being really aware of the things that bring me joy and that make me come alive. And you know, like you touched on some of it there um, is getting out in nature, you know, um, for me, the long lines of horizon of being by the coast mm. um, that that is something that, that I can't wait for. You know, I went for a walk with with uh, my mum there at lunchtime and and we bumped into the neighbours and any number of neighbors and you know those little social contacts 
they're they're moments that spark joy you know um Mm. that intimate connection with people and they're the kind of things that give me hope because people still crave those and want those and those things are still important we haven't completely reclused you know we're craving those moments more than ever and it gives me hope that we'll get to do more of that and going forward the things that give me hope is you know when I look out into the garden the flowers are coming up and I know that the evenings are getting brighter um and I'm excited for the days when it's warm enough to sit in the back garden with a cup of coffee in the sunshine Mm. you know they're the the small things that are giving me hope the things that give me hope are are getting away down the west or onto the greenways or whatever with a good group of friends um and getting out and exploring um these are the kind of things that are giving me hope and i'm i'm feeling really inspired at the moment um when i look around and i see like as imperfect as it will always be the government is doing an incredible job from my perspective in completely imperfect scenario um when you look at the calamity that's happening in in not too distant neighbors um on either side of the water um like overall we've done a great job um when when i look around i just see people you mentioned your 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 kids and i see the fortitude of people and the resilience and and that's really inspiring and that gives me hope that as tough as it is that we have it within us um it makes me sad that so many people are isolated at the moment Mm, yeah um because I definitely felt massively lonely over the past couple of months, even though I'm not alone. Um, yeah. And, and things like that. But I, I think that isolation is hard. Um, but it, it it gives me hope that, you know, the time will come when we can be together again. And so there's lo- there's lots of things that give me hope and, and it's connecting it in with the things that bring me joy and make me come alive. And quite often they're not very complicated things. They're, they're the simplest mm. Yeah, exactly. It's lovely. Mm. You have said um, that after you finished the book, you were almost grappling for the next thing. Mm. Um, Are you quite type A high achiever by nature? (laughs) Yeah, I probably am. I probably am. Yeah. I, I just don't know life in any other way than, you know, have like I've always been really clear about what I wanted it's weird when I was 15 I kind of just knew I'm going to even when I was younger I was saying like when I was about eight I told my parents I was going to be a pediatrician I knew I wanted to work with kids as a doctor but you know I didn't know what kind of a doctor I guess but just even when I was 15 I we lived in Korea at the time and I was helping people as a peer counselor which was anybody in the school that needed a listening ear And then even when I was in college doing psychology, I was part of this organization called Nightline, which was like a phone service helping college students in UCD and Trinity uh, if they had any issues. Like, so for me, it was kind of like, it wasn't just a study that I did. It was just who I was. Do you know what I mean? From, From a long, long time ago, you know, just being a person that would 
help other people and just kind of feeling in a way that like, I I don't mean to sound, this might sound strange, but feeling I have the gift of being able to help. I have the gift of, you know, if somebody comes into my room or even if I'm on the phone with somebody now or whatever, that I can help them feel that bit of hope by the end of the call in some way. Do you know what I mean? Or by the end of that interaction or that spirit, I I suppose I'm connecting. I, I think for me, the type A kind of doesn't seem to fit very well with connecting spiritually, but I'm kind of starting to let that spiritual side into myself a bit more because I definitely have it. Um, So yeah, I kind of, I have to just learn to be comfortable. I am learning to be comfortable with just not having an end goal of writing a book or doing whatever it is I'm going to do. I'm just kind of living day by day at the moment and that's okay, you know? Yeah, I'm pretty type A. Um, Are you? Yeah, and uh, a scary thing happened to me uh, when I when I when I sat down. Well, look, I'm always sitting down, but um, when I arrived at my desk, um, <laughs> um, coming up uh, around New Year's, yeah, to have a think about goals for the new year, and I didn't have anything to write down. Yeah, and I think that's partly by by nature of of uh, the current circumstances. But um, it was a weird thing for me um, actually to be at that point. And, and you kind of described it earlier. And I've just been, because it's always been the next thing. It's always been yeah. the next thing. And I'm grappling with being okay, with enjoying the way things are. And mm-hmm. And that being all right and not always having to be able to say, well, like this is this is what I'm working towards or this is the big ambitious thing that I'm working towards. It's just like, yeah, I'm I'm doing the same thing that I was doing six months ago. And it's actually great. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. It kind of makes you more open as well to something that comes into your inbox that feels right for you, like for me doing this with you today. Do you know, it's kind of like, I didn't even have to think about it. I was like, yeah, I'm doing that. Do you know? So just, you know, when you don't have kind of so many plans, then then unexpected things can happen that can be really a positive thing for you. So, yeah, um, yeah it's and, a lesson and, in that. And it's not to say that you're wandering around without structure, you know, not by any stretch of the imagination. Um but it's but it's having that space to breathe at either end of the day and and all of those kind of things that that I think COVID has taught us are really important. Um, one of the things that I ask all of my guests before we wrap up um, is, is one question, and it comes back to this idea that things are fleeting. We have no idea how long we get. Um, and I always ask, how would you like to be remembered when all is said and done? Okay. Um, I'd like to be remembered as a kind of, as a caring, genuine person who was my real self, you know, and who was there for people when they needed me. Um that's really kind of like I'm not thinking of 
accolades or she did this and she wrote that or she, you know, I, I'm not even, for me, it's like literally, uh, it, it's the quality of compassion. It's the quality of being a kind person and people feeling that from you being a warmth for me, warmth is I've always found the, the idea of warmth, you know, like I love a hot water bottle in my bed at night. I love feeling cozy and warm. I have a big blanket underneath me here. I just love being enveloped in warmth and yeah, that I was a warm, caring person that was there for people. Um, and that's, that's, I would be happy with that. Well, I think you can be pretty happy with that because you're doing a great job. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. You too. Thank you. There will be a next time. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a threat? (laughs) (laughs) No, I would love to have you back at some stage. And I just want to say thank you so much for the incredible work that you're doing with with young people and parents and, and everything else in between. There is a rake of stuff that Mali is involved in that we didn't touch on. Um, a lust for life, um, advising on on mental health at a, at a national level, and any number of other things that uh, that could be thrown in there. So uh, there's accolades, but I know that's not why you do it. And um, yeah, most of all, just thank you for the quality of the presence that you bring. So and thank you, Jack. I just want to say to you, like I've been listening to your podcast, and uh, I think you're an incredible human being. And I think, you know, you you show that vulnerability and just being your true self is is a beautiful quality to have. And I think it encourages others to feel human and uh, comfortable with that as well. So I, I like I'm really looking forward to listening to more of your stuff and. I, I just I like I, I like your warmth. I like your presence. I like your you're you're very soothing. So thank you. Yeah, well, one of the things that I like to think is that um, we live in a world and I, I wrote this before masks and COVID was ever a thing. But um, I wrote down that. Um, uh, there is no right or wrong path just a series of events that either gives us a flavor of what it is that sets our heart alight or dampens our soul. What I do know to be true is that in a world that is not always a smooth ride and a life that is more disillusioned, disconnected and full of people wearing masks than ever before, the bravest thing that any person can possibly do is to bring their authentic selves to the world and that that is when the magic will happen. And it's beautiful. If if this podcast and what I'm about is is trying to achieve anything, it's it's giving people space and permission to feel less disillusioned, more connected to themselves and others, and having permission to lower those masks because when that happens, that's when we get to see the magic, and uh, that's what it's all about. Absolutely, that's beautiful. That's incredible that you wrote that. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. So with that. Yeah. Thank you very much. And to everybody out there listening, stay well, stay curious. We'll catch you next time. Cheers.
if you've enjoyed this episode if you've gotten something from it if it's resonated in some way we would really appreciate if you share it with just one friend it's the best way that the podcast spreads it's the best way that we build the community of people showing each other that each one of us is both a masterpiece and a work in progress at the exact same time until next time stay well stay curious cheers